You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. It's been a couple of crazy weeks for me. As some of you know, I've been aggressively pursuing some great deals in some really good markets across the U.S. Uh, specifically, I'm looking at you know big 100-plus unit deals in um, U.S. multifamily markets, so in other words, apartment buildings, and I'm getting really close to getting some under contract, and that's good news for me and for my investors. And by the way, if that sounds interesting to you, Uh, make sure you consider signing up for my investor club on wealthformula.com and I can tell you what I'm up to. The only caveat to that is in order for you to sign up for that, you do need to be an accredited investor. But listen, wealthformula.com, there's lots of ways to get involved. Get on that newsletter because I am going to start sending out some things exclusively on that newsletter that I think you're going to enjoy. And also there is Ask Buck. Now, I talked about stuff that I'm doing. I don't typically do that on this show. And the reason I'm doing that is not because I'm trying to sell you anything. I brought that up because I'm doing something and I want you to know that I practice what I preach. Okay, this show is about action. It's about doing things, not just talking about them. And there are lots of podcasts of gurus out there who talk to talk, you know, about real estate. Yeah, it's the easiest thing in the world. Or, you know, about investing in precious metals. It's the easiest thing in the world, right? I can talk all day about it and not take any risks and make money by monetizing the education part. Well, since I don't make any money from this podcast, uh, uh, that that's not a problem for me. But I want you to understand that it's important to listen to people who not only talk the talk, but walk the walk. And I want you to know that I'm one of those people who walks it. And that brings me to this week's guest on the Wealth Formula podcast. And many of you know will know him. He is the host of the Get Rich Education podcast, Mr. Keith Weinhold. And his show is actually somewhat similar to mine in many ways. And we share some of the same guests by accident. That said, you know, he's been around a bit longer. He's got a little bit of different background for me, so it does make it a little bit of a different show. But what we do share is that Keith also walks the walk. He's not a guy who just talks about real estate or talks about things and doesn't do them. He's a, he's a guy who really goes out there and does it, and it makes him somebody you should consider listening to. The other thing that I like about Keith, and you'll discover on this show if you haven't listened to him and gotten to know him through his show, is that he is a guy with a lot of integrity. And he believes, like me, in the concept of abundance. That's a big thing for him, and it's a big thing for me. Keith is a giver, and because of that, he has become what I think you know you can define as wealthy. In fact, uh, after we recorded this show, the first thing he asked me is, you know, how can I help you with your podcast? You know, he's been doing this for three years. I've been doing this for, you know, in earnest for about six months. So he gave me a lot of, uh, you know, technical tips and things like that with the completely unsolicited. And he spent about 30 minutes talking to me, talking shop. So, and that's just the kind of guy he is. And so Keith is a guy who I can honestly now say that I know like and trust. And you know how that that's important to me. We've talked about that a bunch of times. And I think that you will too. So I hope you enjoy the show. And when we come back, 
with Keith Weinhold from Get Rich Education. Today, my guest is Keith Weinhold. Now, a lot of you probably know Keith because he is the host of a very popular podcast called Get Rich Education. It's a weekly podcast focused on financial education, and it's a pretty significant show. I mean, he gets 35,000 downloads per month, so obviously he's doing something right. He's reaching 172 nations across the world. He's heard everywhere from iTunes, iHeartRadio. He has guests like Robert Kiyosaki and Harry Dent. I mean, he is a big success in this world, and he's also an active contributor to Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad Advisors blog. So, first of all, Keith, welcome, and thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Buck. It's so great to be on The Wealth Formula. So, first of all, congratulations on all your success. And I hear it's uh, you're in Anchorage, Alaska, and it's you know 8.30 in the morning there, and it's still pitch dark. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's still dark. This time of year, sunrise is about 9.30 a.m. Yeah, it sure is something to get used to for a native Pennsylvanian. Yeah, so when, when does it get dark at night? This time of year, it gets dark. It gets around 4.45 p.m., but we bottom out at winter solstice uh, with sunrise about 10 a.m. and sunset about 3.30 p.m. So, yeah, you need to need to get outside to keep your circadian rhythm in check during those five and a half hours of daylight then. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> so tell me your story. Obviously, you know, you started out in Pennsylvania and and you ended up in Anchorage and, you know, you you obviously started out doing things other than than podcasting. So why don't you tell me your story? Yeah, Buck. Well, I came from pretty modest means. I was born and raised in Pennsylvania, and I grew up with two great parents, two parents that are still happy, still together, still physically active, and really gave me an upbringing with a lot of integrity. However, they were not real estate or entrepreneurial oriented at all. However, they instilled something within me, I think, to go ahead and expand your means. Now, on the one end, my mom was clipping 25 cent Cheerios coupons, but that was so that they could expand in places where it really mattered, like packing up our family station wagon with four of us and driving from Pennsylvania to Arizona and Utah to see, you know, the great canyons and and national parks of another part of the country. And we did a lot of those things. So I think my parents really instilled within me to not live below your means, expand your means, something I go on to read later in a Robert Kiyosaki book. There you go. (laughs) So then where do you go from there? So you grow up, you've got these great parents and you're in Pennsylvania. At some point you fell in love with real estate. Was that because of the Kiyosaki exposure? Yeah, I think reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad more than 15 years ago really planted those seeds in my head. And um, it really gave me sort of something concrete to grab onto rather than just having these sort of nebulous thoughts. And it really motivates the mindset for investing in real estate, as we all know. And as far as moving to Alaska more than 15 years ago, you know, my parents instilled this sense of travel and expanding and getting out and see the own world that you live in. So I vacationed in Alaska four times as a Pennsylvania resident, and I knew that this is where I wanted to live. So I made the move. I think one well-known saying in real estate, Buck, is live where you want to live and invest where the numbers make sense. And a lot of people think about invest where the numbers make sense. But the first part of that is live where you want to live. I think a lot of people overlook that part. Do Uh both. So you like the cold. And so you want to be there. (laughs) 
I, I like a change of seasons. Uh, Anchorage is not uh, is, is cold as some people think. But, yeah, the winters really are long, dark, and cold. But in the summer, there are a few places I would rather be. This just fits my lifestyle. I live yeah. in a city of 300,000 people. I'm 10 minutes from an international airport. But yet in just a 25-minute drive, I can be on a mountain seeing nothing but mountain goats and moose and no humans. It's just a remarkable. We kind of span that rural-urban divide in one small geography here in Anchorage, Alaska. That's pretty neat. So, okay, so now let's talk about that first venture into real estate. Now, you've packed up, you've read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and you've moved to Anchorage. Now, how did you get into real estate investing? Well, after being in Anchorage a couple years, Buck, I think it starts with I was around the right people. I had fallen into a group of friends that I would describe as aspirational. I mean, they still knew how to have fun and everything, but they were aspirational people. And something that two of my closest friends had done is they had gone ahead and bought a fourplex building. They lived in one unit and rented out the other three. And the one friend really had his act together, and the other, even though aspirational, he was a bit of a screw-off, and I knew if he could do it, anyone could do it. So (laughs) after... uh, After I lived in Anchorage for a couple years, Buck, instead of buying my first home when it was kind of time for me to come of age and I had formed a down payment, rather than buying a single family home, what I did is I purchased a fourplex building and I lived in one unit and I rented out the other three. Now, usually when you buy a fourplex building, unless it's new construction, it's already going to be tenanted. So I occupied one of the four units and rented out the other three. And I was just still working a job as a construction materials inspector. And I did not have a lot of income. But I followed along with that rich dad, Robert Kiyosaki, question that he asks in his books. Don't say I can't afford it. Ask, how can I afford it? How could I purchase a $295,000 fourplex in 2002 with such a modest income? Well, one way I learned is I used the tenant's income before I even owned the building. So with this FHA loan, this Federal Housing Administration loan, prior to purchasing it, I could use 75% of the three existing tenants' rent income toward my qualification income. Wow. So therefore, I can afford it. And this FHA loan, it's available to anyone. And this is the exciting, actionable thing to kick off your show with here, Buck. Nearly anyone can qualify for a Federal Housing Administration loan. And you need to live in the property for 12 months minimum yourself. And the property can be a single family home, which is how most people use their FHA loan. Or it can also be a duplex, triplex, or a fourplex. Four units is the most that you can purchase. And that typically makes the most benefit of your economies of scale. So what you do to qualify for an FHA loan, just look at these easy criteria and how many people can do this. It just takes a three and a half percent down payment. And that down payment can even be a gift, like from family. Secondly, you need to have a minimum credit score of 580. Yes, just 580. Wow. And then thirdly, you need to live there for a minimum of 12 months. It's called owner occupying. Yeah, actually, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because when I finished my uh, residency training in 2008, my wife and I were, we were renting and I started looking into that very program with that exact concept in my mind about living in a fourplex and, you know, renting out three, but we had a baby at that point, And before you know it, we ended up, you know, we ended up creating uh, more expenses for ourselves instead, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it is a great program. And had I known about it, you know, when I was younger and single, I would have, I would have done that for sure. I mean, it makes so much sense. And the other thing is that 
with that particular type of program you talk about, technically you're supposed to be what they call a first-time home buyer. Is that correct? I don't know that you necessarily have to be with FHA, although it typically works out that way. Yeah. So in when I was looking at it, you have to be a first-time home buyer. And while I didn't have a first-time I didn't have a home, so I didn't I didn't own a home, so I qualified. But what I realized was, and here's the kicker, you're considered a first-time home buyer if you haven't bought a home in something like two or three years. So every two or three years, you can do this. <laughs> so, so that's the that's the uh, other thing to look into. But it's a uh, it's a great opportunity, and I appreciate you bringing that up. And so you had this great experience in real estate. Let me talk to you about real estate in general, because obviously that's really what your thing is. I mean, it's a big part of what we talk about on the show. And you recently wrote an article for, for Rich Dad, didn't you? Something about uh, 12 reasons why you know real estate makes sense right now. Yeah, this, as we kind of move toward the year 2020 here, for demographic reasons and other trends, this is really a great time to be a real estate investor. And that gives some people a little bit of pause because in general, nationwide real estate prices have run up fairly substantially over the past five years or so. But yeah, there's really 12 reasons why this is a great time to be a real estate investor. I mean, first of all, mortgage interest rates just continue to flirt with historic lows. And they've been on the floor for so long, I think people just get lulled into complacency. I don't think there's any stimulus to move them up, but um, that's something you can lock in for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, secondly, there's more millennials that are entering prime renter age. And I think a lot of us know that they are the largest generation. Last year, they surpassed the baby boomers as the largest age cohort, and they're the ones of prime renter age. And, and they don't want to buy homes either. That's the other well, they, thing. Yeah, yeah so. a lot of them don't want to buy a mm-hmm. home. And even those the ones that do, they cannot. And that's kind of the third reason why this is a good time to be a real estate investor, because college costs are rising even faster than the rate of inflation. And that really means that millennials, they're saddled with this student loan debt in with no formation for a housing down payment, a greater proportion must rent. Are you talking about primarily about single family homes right now in your article, or are you talking about multifamily as well? Really both. Just why it's a great time to be a real estate investor, single family or multifamily. You know, you do have a lot of people, like you mentioned, Buck, that even if they could, even if a millennial could go ahead and afford a down payment, that they don't want to. And one of the reasons they don't want to, and this is kind of something that's off the demographic record, you don't see statistics for this often as much. And this psychological component is because, you know, years ago, millennials saw what happened to their parents. They saw their parents often lose their home in the mortgage meltdown of 2009, or if they didn't lose their home to foreclosure or short sale, they saw their parents be underwater on their home such that it restricted that family's mobility and they couldn't move even if they wanted to. So millennials recently saw what happened. That often happened during their formative years, and that leaves an indelible impression on them. Another reason it's a great time to be a real estate investor is job growth has actually been pretty tepid. And a lot of the jobs that have been added are part-time jobs. They're low-paying jobs. And that means that fewer would-be homeowners can form a down payment. That keeps them renting. So this is good for us as people that want to rent property to others. And also, if you don't have a great job, you know, you're a lot less likely to sort of commit and stay put in one geography, and that makes you more likely to rent, and you can retain your mobility for a better job opportunity. And, you know, all these trends, they've resulted in the U.S. now having the lowest home ownership rate since 1965, and demographers and economists think that's going to continue. And, you know, the other thing is rental occupancy is really high. That's a result of all this. 
and monthly rental amounts are often rising even faster than inflation in a lot of U.S. markets, and that enriches real estate investors like us. And I've still got three or four more reasons here why this is a good time to be a real estate investor. And this is just something Americans overlook. I mean, it's just the fact that the overall population of the United States continues to increase. And this just kind of drives economics 101 of supply and demand. Um, again, a lot of people take that for granted, but population losses in places like Japan and Germany create a lot of excess housing capacity there. We've also got more economic uncertainty in places like China and Great Britain with what's happened recently. And a lot more of those foreign buyers, they want to invest in the United States. That helps drive up prices. And, you know, kind of this last of these 12 reasons, Buck, why it's a great time to be a real estate investor is what I'll call kind of this maturity of turnkey real estate investing. It just makes it easier than ever for you, your listener, to get in the game by controlling your own income property. And turnkey means your property is rehab, tenanted, and under management and cash flowing from day one. So it's better than ever. And it's also kind of easier than ever, I think, Buck. Yeah, I agree with that. And Sometimes uh, what you're talking about is that it's a very stable, good place for your money. One of the bad things about that is a lot of investors are recognizing that. Of course, that's pushing our prices up a little bit, but there's still much better yield than there is other places, and it's a lot safer. And to your point, I mean, turnkey makes a big difference, certainly in the single-family space. And if you want to go bigger and you want to do apartment buildings, you can participate in syndications. And, you know, we've talked about that on this show quite a bit as well. You could certainly spread it out. I mean, you could be investing in single family. You can, you could invest in syndications with others, you know, who are doing deals at like hundred units plus, et cetera. But the bottom line is that housing continues to be a very good place to be. It's one of those things on Maslow's hierarchy that, you know, is absolutely critical right? You got to have a roof over your head. So Keith, one of the things that I like about what you do is not only do you talk about real estate, but you practice what you preach. And I wanted to focus a little bit on some of the things that you look at when you're looking at real estate. And of course, certainly you're looking at cash and cash and return on investment and appreciation, but you also talk a little bit about a concept that I've not heard of, which is ROTI. Can you explain that to our audience? Yeah, I sure can. You know, us as active real estate investors, we're oftentimes looking at numbers. We're in a people and numbers business. And some of those numbers we look at are things like cash on cash return, cap rate, internal rate of return, cash flow. We look at all the numbers in a profit and loss statement. But you know what? The one investor metric that's probably the most important is something that you'll never see on a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet. And that is, what is your ROTI? What is your return on time invested? How much of your time or faculties or how much inconvenience are your investments causing you? So, you know, we want to look at what's going to be most frictionless and what's our best and highest use. For example, you know, I suggest, Buck, to most people that if they can, they don't have to, but if they can, they should manage their own property for one to two years because that way they'll understand a property manager statement from the inside. But thereafter, it's best to outsource property management to someone else. Property management, as much as I respect them and as much as I need my managers to provide passive cash flow, it is a low-paid position that really doesn't get a lot of respect. So what's your return on time invested? Perhaps doing something like investing in another person's syndication. That's a great return on your time invested. You might only have to decipher quarterly 
income reports or investing in turnkey property, like I mentioned before, where everything's already done for you, where you're purchasing a property where it's cash flowing on day one, already rehabbed, already tenanted, and already under management. So I think one really wants to consider the return on time invested because when it comes right down to it, I really don't love real estate. I don't. I love what real estate can do for me. Real estate is just a vehicle to give passive income, to open up time, to culminate in some of those touchy-feely things like peace, joy, happiness, love, and freedom. So if I manage my own property and I get calls about a toilet or a piece of laminate flooring that comes up, that really erodes peace, joy, happiness, love, and freedom. So consider your ROTI, your return on time invested for those reasons. That's an important distinction and one I often like to point out, too, because my father is and uh, was, and he's slowing down a little bit, but was a, a landlord my entire life and owned lots of uh, single-family homes, apartment buildings, you name it. And the bigger he got, the more money he made, and more the more the phone just rang incessantly. And what I knew back then was that I definitely didn't want anything to do with real estate. Well, of course, that's the way I'm going to think if the phone's ringing 24 hours a day, you know, with tenants, toilets and termites. Right. I mean, that's the, that's sort right. of the classic thing. So when I pivoted back into real estate, I did it as an investment vehicle and I see real estate as a business. I don't see it as being a landlord. And that is a big distinction because I think when you listen to a lot of the podcasts out there about real estate, they're landlord shows. And that's okay if that's what you really want to do. But I, like you, see v you know, real estate and other hard assets as, you know, very, very useful real assets that throw off cash flow. Yeah, absolutely. A better and higher use, you said it, Buck, is being an investor. It's not being a landlord. It's not going over there for every service call from a tenant. You know, when you're an investor and you think and act at a higher level, you can be doing things that make a better and higher use of your time. For example, researching the best markets to invest in. You know, most people that are just landlords, they're more likely to only invest in their local market. And they really don't even have the big picture thinking to know how risky that is to invest in just one geographic market. Instead, when you're the investor, you can be doing things like market research and perhaps have a well-diversified portfolio of turnkey property or syndications that you're invested in, in, say, Dallas, Texas, Birmingham, Alabama, and Seattle, Washington, for example. So I want to pivot a little bit because obviously you've had tremendous success on your show, and it is called Get Rich Education. So I have a question for you. What does it mean to you to be rich? To be rich means living a rich life, even more than having a lot of money. But however, and this is the abundance mindset rather than scarcity mindset, and that is why not have both? Why not live a rich life and have plenty of money? So, you know, living a rich life, that really means having enough passive income so that you can do pretty much what you want to do when you want to do it. And that is the definition, basically, of financial freedom, doing what you want to do when you want to do it. So it's really a show that's about an outcome of lifestyle improvement, not just having more doors and not just having more cash flow. Yeah, basically, that's the same concept that I use, and I call this um – it's the wealth formula, right? It's a wealth formula podcast. Wealth, what is wealth? It's basically time. And so I think you and I are measuring it the same way. We're looking at it and saying, you know, what is it that really creates what you call a rich life and what I call wealth? And it's really about, you know, time. And, and the time is spent whatever way you like. 
Now, let me ask you another question that I'm very curious about. Now, you've done over 100 shows. You've had a lot of incredible guests, like, of course, Robert Kiyosaki, whom both of us find as an incredibly inspirational figure, Harry S. Dent, Tom Wheelwright. I had Tom on the show last week. What are some of the things that you've learned from these really successful people that you've interviewed? Well, from Robert Kiyosaki, you know, I think I've learned, you know, stick to your guns and be bold. I guess from some of the more prominent recent guests that I've hosted on Get Rich Education, I'd say the author of The Millionaire Mind, T. Harvecker, he really had some great, great insight. I think the one concept that T. Harvecker brought up, and I've never thought of it this way before, is that everyone, they sort of have their own wealth thermostat. And your wealth thermostat often gets programmed from your parents. And if your wealth thermostat is set to a low level, as you kind of come of age and grow up, you're not going to want to take risks and you're always going to want to bring your thermostat back down to its low set point rather than think about expanding yourself. You're going to revert to living below your means because your thermostat's set for a low level. So one example of that might be, well, a person would be afraid to go ahead and buy a fourplex building. They just want to fall back into their own small thinking world and let the Groupon app on their iPhone dictate where they have dinner with their wife tomorrow night <laughs> rather than yeah. read about what leverage and a fourplex building or read about a 1031 exchange and what that can do for them. Their set point, their thermostat is just not set to that high level. It's just going to continue to come back to where the thermostat's been set. Yeah, I think that is very, very true. And I think that a, a lot of people get this thought in their head of what success looks like. And that's based completely on where they come from, right? So if you come from a household um, with very little money and you might think, well, gosh, $100,000 is a lot of money, right? So you make it and then that's it. You've made your goal, but you didn't, You maybe you could, if you thought bigger, maybe you'd make more than that. I'm a huge believer in mindsets. So I appreciate that a whole lot. And one part where the mindset's really important, I think, is that a lot of people who have a wealth thermostat set at a low set point have this terrific aversion to debt. Well, debt creates leverage. Leverage over time creates high rates of return. And most people, I think, that have a, a low thermostat set point have an aversion to debt because their only experience with debt is being trapped underneath debt and having to work hard to pay your debt. But when you're a leveraged real estate investor, you've learned how to outsource 100% of your debt to tenants. So your debt is completely outsourced. So even though your name or your LLC's name might be tied to the debt, you're really not the one paying it off. You've outsourced that to somebody else. And you don't want to be debt-free. I'm telling your listeners, you don't want to be debt-free. Being financially free has far more power in one's life. And that's another example of having a thermostat set to a higher wealth set point. Yeah, I agree with that. Again, you know, and, and we go back to Robert Kiyosaki's saying about, you know, savers are losers. Well, why are they losers? Because if you <laughs> right. keep your money in the bank and uh, they're paying you less than 1%, in the bank and inflation is greater than 1%, it means you're losing money every year, right? And then on top of that, we've got inflation that's probably going to go up. I mean, you've talked to people like Gary S. Dan, you, well, actually, I think he believes that there's going to be a contraction in the economy. But if you look at people like Jim Rickards, et cetera, 
most people think that there's going to be an acceleration in inflation just by the very nature of the fact that we've printed $4 trillion in the last eight years and we still have a sluggish economy. So if you hold debt and you have high inflation, you're basically paying off your debt in essence nominally by just yeah. holding on to debt rather than holding on to money. Yeah, absolutely. The inflation versus deflation is a really interesting discussion, Buck. You know, you have a deflationary force out there like globalization, which basically flattens wages. That's one reason it helps be a deflationary force. But the inflationary force on the other side is there's virtually no limit to how much we can print. And it takes very little effort to go ahead and do that and introduce more dollars into circulation to kind of help stoke inflation and fight off these deflationary forces. And yeah, you know, something that a lot of people don't understand about debt and inflation is the same way someone wouldn't want to put a million dollars in a bank account because it's eroded by inflation. The debtor benefits from that. If a debtor takes $1 million worth of debt out, not only is a tenant paying that down over time, but inflation also erodes the power of that debt weight that's tied up in your name that someone's paying down for you simultaneously. So inflation is a great benefit to the leveraged real estate investor. I personally have millions of dollars in loans and I'm rooting for inflation. I'm like, go, go, go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, listen, we've talked about a lot of interesting concepts here and I certainly do appreciate you being on the show. Folks, you're hearing from people who have taken action and changed their lives every week on the show. And if you're waiting on the sidelines with your golden handcuffs or if you're still in the rat race, when are you going to start and join the ranks of guys like Keith? I'd take action now. I think we've gotten, you know, you've got plenty of information here uh, to know that it's the right thing to do. There are opportunities everywhere to change your own life through entrepreneurship and cash flow investing. And that's my take-home message to you this week, and that's it for my episode this week. I really do want to thank you, Keith, for being on the show, and congratulations again on all the success that you've had. Hey, Buck, it's been so great to be on. You can learn more at GetRichEducation.com. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at WealthFormula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not facts. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.